Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. They're not all crypto-fascists and right-wing nutjobs. We also have some venture capital dems and uh, centrist schools. Dad's ideological range was wide. Well, I've been to that party. Welcome to HBO's official Succession podcast. I'm Kara Swisher. And this week, the fate of American democracy is at stake. So it's election eve. And guess what Father Sexmas has brought you? Why? Hot, fresh polling. You know, I thought these people would be very complicated, but it's, they're not. It's basically just like money and gossip. Let's have some fun. Let the games begin. Salute. Today, I'm getting into episode seven and that big fight between Tom and Shiv with Mr. Wamsgans himself. Matthew McFadden is on the podcast. And then I'll get the lowdown on real-world tailgate parties with political strategist Eric Schultz, who served as the deputy White House press secretary under President Obama. Everyone has pre-election jitters, and we could all use Eric's steady hand to help guide us. This episode, titled Tailgate Party, was written by Will Tracy and directed by the husband and wife team Robert Pulcini and Sherry Springer Berman. It's the night before the presidential election, and for the Roys, it's all just a game. Shiv and Tom come back together, temporarily, to host a party with the most powerful people in the country. Kendall and Roman use it as an opportunity to spread doubt about the Gojo deal. But once Matson crashes the party, we learn he's a phony. His subscriber numbers in India are fake, and this guy may just screw the deal himself. Shiv, who's thrown everything behind Matson, panics and it all explodes in a knockdown dragout fight with Tom. And in the end, it's Kendall who makes the biggest move. He pitches buying Gojo to become bigger than their dad ever was. We watch history, we make history, and then one day we become it. Joining me now is everyone's favorite clumsy interloper, Matthew McFadden, who plays Tom Wamsgans. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Matthew. I'm thrilled to have you. Thrilled to be here. So I was just telling you, so many people are into Tom this season. It's a Tom season, I think, in many ways. Does it feel like that? A lot of it. A lot of people are asking (laughs) me about you in particular. Uh, You've sort of come alive in a different way. Someone was saying you're both obsequious and vicious at the same time. Yeah. And I think there's a curiosity about where he's going to end up. Yes. Especially after last season, he did something quite un-Tom-like in sort of siding so strongly with Logan and against Shiv. It's like, what do you do now? 
Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of people are suddenly realizing maybe he's talented, actually. Maybe he's good at his job. Yeah, maybe there's more spine there than we thought. Absolutely. But viciousness definitely comes into play. So we're close to the end of the series and the election storyline and the role of ATN comes back with a vengeance in this episode. And Tom is at front and center as the head of ATN. How does it feel to have Tom be so central to the show's endgame despite not being a Roy kid? (laughs) I feel the weight of responsibility on my shoulders especially without my protector there. But running, it's a big deal. I mean, it's running a multi, multi-million dollar enterprise. And Yeah, you would have just fired Tucker Carlson if you were in the yeah. job. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, we filmed in a TV studios as well, in like a proper working, enormous... CNBC. Yeah, that's right. That's I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good fun, all that stuff. What do you think Tom's politics are? You never get a sense of anybody's politics in this family. or They're, they're vaguely conservative, but not really. What do you think his are? I think he's much like in lots of departments of his life. He's pretty flexible. <laughs> he likes money. He likes being safe. He likes security. He doesn't like conflict. So he'll sort of bend with the wind. Right. I suspect he comes from a background of much less the means. So he likes money. He likes what he's gotten and what he's achieved. Yeah, it's interesting, his background, because he's, you know, Tom's from St. Paul. His mom's a lawyer and he had a quite a lovely upbringing, but without that sort of hardness and coldness that the, mm-hmm. the Roy kids did. So it's not so in his bones, I think, that. Right, although he's quite good at it. Were you surprised to see the show lean so hard into politics in this final stretch? Not really. No, there's always an edge. And it never hits you over the head with it, which is a great skill. And this really is about politics, the politics of a family. Yeah, exactly. But you never know what they're for. Well, he says, relax, Greg, this is a safe space where you don't have to pretend to like Hamilton. But I suspect that Tom probably does quite like Hamilton. So he's just sort of being in the room. Do you, Matthew, like Hamilton? I I did like Hamilton very much, yeah. Yeah, it's hard not to like. So you're a unique character in Succession for a lot of reasons. For one, you're in charge of ATN, arguably Waystar's most powerful asset. But you're, as you said, not a coastal elite. You're an interloper, and they use that word interloper sometimes. How do you think him being from the Midwest impacts how people perceive him? That he's soft or he's not as tough? Yeah, I think there's that, and a bit sort of folksy and a bit not as sophisticated, perhaps. I mean, he's he's sort of been mocked all the way through a little bit, certainly by his brothers-in-law and by Shiv. Roman calls him a farmer. Calls me a pig farmer, actually. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Shiv even suggests that I went to like a, a you know proper tailor, a bespoke tailor, and it did, I just looked silly. So they went back to Brooks Brothers and so when you when you think about that, how do you play him like that? As someone who would come to this from so a more modest Midwestern background. Well, all that all that stuff is great because they're so acid and arid and hard, and they're written that way and they're played that way. So mm-hmm. it's just good fun as an actor to bounce off that, and it's not a big leap to think, oh God, you know, it's quite intimidating. But then you give it back just as hard. Your character has gone much harder over the years. I think he's had to, yeah. I think he's had to, and certainly when, quite bravely, you could argue, he sacrificed himself for the company and for his father-in-law, like he offered to go to prison for Logan. And so I think that's given him a bit of confidence, and and he's taken a lot. And so I guess in a funny way, it's, he's gained a sort of confidence through looking down the barrel of going to jail and being in a loved marriage and not being popular. Do you think Tom wants people to see him as more sophisticated or or not? I don't know is the answer. I think... So much of how Tom operates is just from moment to moment, he's just sort of, you know, when he's not plotting and scheming and jockeying for position, he's just treading water manically to try and keep afloat. 
But like like the betrayal of Shiv at the end of season three, I don't think was particularly premeditated. I think it was just a sort of accumulation of slights that he'd got, and he just made a decision there, then and there, and took Greg with him and did it. Yeah, I don't I don't think he did a lot of thought. I mean, not a lot, a lot of sort of working out, you know. As someone from Britain, what's it like to play these subtleties in American identity? Did you have a lot of background with Midwesterners or, or nasty New Yorkers? No, I'm just jumping in. I'm hoping for the best. I'm waiting for someone to say, hey, hey that's that's so tonally wrong. Is there anyone you look towards when you were thinking about the character? Not one person in particular, I suppose. No, I sort of a melange of lots of different people and... I love playing the character so much because he is he's just different with everyone he meets. He's just that wonderful. You're like you're playing a different character every scene. So it's great. And I, I'm obviously surrounded by Americans on set and brilliant actors. And so sometimes I sort of say, hey, you know, I pick their brains about certain expressions or does it sound right? Or mm-hmm. And I've sort of got an understanding about an exaggerated Midwestern vibe, I suppose, maybe, which contrasts with the sort of hard-edged Upper East Side chivroy. I feel like Tom is also always looking for a status symbol. In this episode, it's wine. Can you talk to me about the obsession with wine? Like, you go, like I think it's not so much about the wine. It's about some sort of, I don't know, it's about his marriage, I think. Oh, tell me why. She doesn't want to have a baby. She doesn't want really to be with him. And so if they can have a vineyard together and maybe produce wine, that's a sort of substitute. It was a sort of weak substitute maybe in his head. And like all those things, it turned out very badly and the wine's disgusting. And also it's not a sort of bucolic, beautiful vineyard. It's just off a German autobahn. And he also, last season, when he was prepping for incarceration, he was looking to make toilet wine. Uh, so, is- <laughs> so I love that scene so much. That's a real thing. Yes. Oh, I'm aware. Catch up in a bag in the toilet. Yeah, delicious. Now, your fellow disgusting brother also has a big episode here. He lays off a ton of people. He's getting awfully cozy with Matson. I'm surprised that even saying, uh, given how much a loser Greg is, but he's, is he successfully climbing the ranks with your help? Yeah, I think the big mistake with Greg is to think that he is a loser. I think there's something quite together about him. Yeah, he's not to be underestimated, I'd say. He's not without vanity. And what is that relationship between you two? Because it seems like you're a better match for him than Shiv in some ways. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We start from the pilot. We just hit it properly off in a funny way. I think because we're both outsiders, even though he's family and I, I'm immediately threatened by him because he's tall and he is family. He's blood family and I'm not. And and I, yeah, he just annoys me. But I sort of really like him as well because I probably recognize my own gaucheness in him. And, and I think we probably have have quite a fun time together sometimes. Do you think Tom's jealous that Greg's doing well? Because he's the one who's been teaching him how to do these Yeah, things. I don't like it when he starts going off on his own. I don't like it when he starts spreading his wings, even though I, I've encouraged him to do that. The most important scene in this is Tom and Shiv, obviously, because the episode is an emotional roller coaster for them. At the start, they're having lots of sex, joking about fresh, hot polling, of course, because nothing's sexier than fresh, hot polling. It's sort of in a honeymoon period. What is it that brings them back here? Back to being together, you mean? Yeah, mm -hmm, from your perspective. Maybe it's the vacuum that, since Logan has gone, he's the sort of planet around whom everyone has been orbiting, and that's sort of gone, and it's a very lonely place. It's a difficult place for her and and for him, and so maybe there's a sort of strength and solace, and maybe it's sometimes like when you agree to break up, it's a sort of weird, relaxed feeling. You think, okay, well, maybe let's have another go, because we've looked into the abyss, and maybe... Maybe there's a chance. But we see the first crack in their happiness when Tom gives Shiv a gift of a scorpion, which was incredibly awkward. Let's take a listen. The scorpion? Mm. 
Because. Because it's, it's funny. <laughs> because, why? Because it's it's like it's a joke. Who's the scorpion? Um, you, I guess. But it's just silly, honey. It's like you know, I love you, but you kill me and I kill you. And oh. You, you know. Okay. Yeah. Right. I know. Yeah. I got it. Huh. <laughs> Classic. I love you, but you kill me and I kill you. I just, it, that was yeah, cringy. I think it's fair enough. Yeah, I get it. He was wrapping it so he, nicely. He thought she'd be thrilled. Yeah. I think like a lot of things with Tom, he thought it was a good, funny, pithy, sexy little gift. And it just backfired badly. Like he thought it would be a good idea to propose when her father was in hospital having had a brain hemorrhage. That might be a really lovely, thoughtful thing. And actually it, it wasn't. But I don't think there was an awful lot of thought in... He just thought, oh, it'll just be a funny little thing and, you know. Right, right. And she doesn't think it's funny at all. Not all, no. Shiv doesn't say what she's feeling here, but it all comes back at the end of the episode, which this scene was astonishing. Would you feel comfortable listening for a moment of that fight on the balcony? Yeah, it's go ahead. It's pretty intense. Yeah. You were only with me to get to power. Well, you got it now, Tom. You've got it. I'm with you because I love you. Bullshit. You're fucking me for my DNA. You were fucking me... For a fucking ladder, because your whole family is striving in parochial. That's not, that's not a fair characterization. Oh, not- no? Well, your mom loves me more than she loves you, because she's cracked. You want to you wanna actually clear the air? Fine. You betrayed me. You were going to see me get sent to fucking prison, Shiv. And then you fogged me off with that fucking undrinkable wine, and you won't have my baby. Because you never even thought, honestly, you'd be with me more than like four fucking years. You offered to go to jail, Tom. You offered because you're servile. You're just, you're servile. You are incapable of thinking about anybody other than yourself because your sense of who you are, Shiv, is that fucking thing. Oh, yeah, you read that in a book, Tom. You're too fucking transparent to find in a book. You're pathetic. You're pathetic. You're a masochist and you can't even take it. I think you are incapable of love. And I think you are maybe not. A good person to have children. Well, that's not very nice to say, is it? Whoa. He doesn't know she's pregnant, too. Tell me about the scene. This was, wow. I mean, when you have scenes like that, it sort of becomes very simple and thrilling because the scene's so beautifully written and you just think, oh, great, it's just there for us. And so... Yeah, and it was set, and this is one of sort of deliciously set because we're on on the, the balcony of our apartment and... Everybody is inside looking at us in this pre-election party. So it's sort of awful. They can't hear it exactly, but they can see that we're having a screaming match. So that added a wonderful layer to it. And um, so we've got this wonderful writing. And Sarah Snook, who's just genius and my pal. And so it's who I love acting with and trust. And so that, but I remember shooting it very clearly and yeah, very fondly. What do you think got to Tom in this thing? Uh, because uh, what the line he says, you're incapable of love, and I think you, maybe you're not a good person to have children, is really... I think it's just the fucking injustice that he feels. He thought maybe they were in a good place, and he realizes she spent the whole party when they were supposed to be throwing it together, sort of telling everybody that he was heading for the chop. So something breaks. How did you get to the raw emotion of this? I mean, I know it's on the page, but it's very it's a much harder thing just to do. You just do it. I mean, also, it's a function of having played the roles, Tom and Shiv, and been in that world for six years. And so the scene feels like it comes at the right time, so things just sort of converge and it all comes out. But 
you learn the lines very, very well, as well as you can, and then you rehearse a little bit. And Sarah and I just sort of skated through, and you, then you, you get a little idea of how it's going to be, and then you start shooting, and then it just reveals itself. You've had a lot of explosive raw scenes with the two of you this season. But nothing like this. The lid has not come off in this way. I mean, not calling her ears as big as what? What did you call them when she stepped on your shoes? And... <laughs> Thick and chewy like barnacle meat. Thick and chewy. <laughs> <laughs> Sexy. Yeah. Okay, so you start filming. How much was exactly as written and how much did you experiment with different lines? Uh, I don't remember. I think it was pretty much exactly as written. Maybe I don't think we did. No, it's so good. I think people think we, we improvise an awful lot in succession. We do a bit, but mostly 95% mm-hmm. of it is as written. I'd say. So one of the things that was interesting is, you said it finally breaks because she's been slagging him the whole party, right? But one of the things he said, he's been tired all day. Yeah, he's moaning and moaning about being tired for for a while, yeah. Exactly. So is that why it all comes spilling out? I mean, he's he's terrified about making a cock-up of the election. He wants to do a good job in the election because he's scared of losing his job and he wants to do well. But I think it just comes to a head. The facade goes and he can't accept it. I remember in the scene feeling the terrible rage at the injustice of it. Do you think he's relieved to finally have it? And un- he hasn't been very truthful with her because he wants to hold on to position, it seems like, and now has just decided why not. Yeah, and he, he spends a lot of the time being diplomatic and politic and swallowing his tongue and letting her win and letting her have the last word. And maybe he doesn't. He doesn't this time. Yeah, so he calls her fundamentally broken. Do you think Tom is fundamentally broken, even if in a different way? I think he's less damaged than the, he hasn't had to suffer under Logan Roy. I do. I think he's the thing about the three siblings is they don't feel loved from either of their parents, and so you lose a certain, you know, you maybe you can't love yourself or you can't love anybody else, and you don't have any real confidence. And I don't think that's true of Tom necessarily. Right. Why do you think he married her? I think partly attraction to her surname and her father and the business and all that stuff, that's certainly a pull. And I think there was a strong sexual attraction and they had a laugh. And and also he was able to, we decided that she was in a very, very bad way when they met. She'd come out of an awful relationship, I think, with a heartbreaking relationship. And he was there to pick up the pieces and he was just a solid pair of hands, safe pair of hands. And, you know, and so he quite liked playing that part, playing that role. Do you see him as an underdog figure and do you see him as precarious at this point? At this point, he's pretty precarious, I'd say. Yeah, he's he's treading water, his heart rate's racing, and he's sort of under, he's sinking a little bit. Yeah. So before I leave, I which I ask everyone, I want each of us to share a favorite line or part of the episode. You pick one and I'll pick one, okay? <laughs> Let's play a clip. I'm about to take a shit in your husband's mouth, and I'm... Pretty sure he's going to tell me it tastes like Coco Man. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that is my favorite line of the night. The Madsen one's great because that's a, that's another reason why Tom explodes because that's a real, that's a scary, intimidating presence in his life and you, exciting but intimidating and, you know, he wants to impress him and he's sort of, you know, he's a big alpha male. Is he aware of the relationship between Shiv and him? A little bit, yeah, yeah, but he doesn't want to pry, and he, he's trying to be cool, and, but it's scary. Do you have any other lines you like the best in that episode? <laughs> I like the Tom line to Nate because it's a sort of echo of the first one when I make him put my wine back into his bottle and I tell him to get out. No, don't you worry, you gobble my gravel axe, pal. It's plenty more where that came from. It's light and fruity, and it's the kind of wine that separates the connoisseurs from the weekend 
Malbec morons. Last question. These people are clearly lost, as I said, and they're trapped. They've been trapped their whole lives where they, since they were born. Is Tom trapped forever? Less so, I think. Less, there's less weight on him. And what do you like about Tom the most? He's quite funny, Tom. He's quite cheerful. You know, he's, pretty, he's got a sort of naturally sunny disposition, I'd say, Tom. Maybe if he hadn't got together with Shiv, he'd be doing something, you know, he'd be, yeah, quite good fun. Thank you so much for joining me, Matthew. I really appreciate it. Not at all. Thank you very much. Now it's time to get into the real world of succession. And today we're discussing the wild world of American politics. To help me pull back the curtain, I'm joined by Eric Schultz, a political strategist and former deputy press secretary in the Obama administration. And we're lucky to have him since he also served as a consultant on this season of succession. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Eric. Great to be here, Kara. I've heard you described as a real-world Olivia Pope. Um, she's better looking, I'm sorry to tell you. Um, Fair, solving crises yeah. in secret. But is that what you, you're you trying to tamp down things or be more sort of outward-facing? Well, you know, I, I work for a candidate or elected official or, you know, the president of the United States. And so we work for them. Uh, and so our, our view is to make sure they are best positioned to either succeed or deliver or uh, figure out h- how they want to address something. So yes, I, I prefer to stay behind the scenes and make sure that they are as, as well positioned as possible to to succeed. But it's a moment-to-moment job. Yeah, but that's what makes it exciting. I joined the Obama White House in the spring of 2011. Mm-hmm. And almost immediately when you get there, people are saying, well, how long are you going to stay? How long are you going to stay? I stayed to the last day. I, I, I was part of the turnout, but I was like, where am I going to go? What is going to be more exciting or cooler than working in the White House? Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. How did you get involved as a consultant on Succession? There's been a number of shows and scripts that I've consulted with, and it excites me. I've worked in politics for about 20 years now, and so being able to sort of breach into another space, another sector of entertainment, is of significant interest. So what types of questions do the writers come to you with? I, I consulted on on Silicon Valley for HBO. Yep. So they had lots of questions. They came up and visited me and asked me all kinds of questions. What did they ask you? Well, obviously the writers on the show are brilliant. They're creative. Mm-hmm. They're funny. Yeah. But I think what makes the show really pop is the attention to detail in the storylines. I'll give you a few examples. I think in one of the earlier episodes, I think it was four, when the family is grieving at Logan's house. There's an indication that a presidential candidate is going to drop by. Mm -hmm. And so the production crew would ask, well, what does the security footprint look like for when a presidential candidate is going to make a stop like that? And I walked them through, you know, in our parlance, we call it an OTR, an off-the-record stop that's not previously announced. And what does the security look like? Mm -hmm. And then they'd come back and say, okay, great, thank you. But what kind of vests do the dogs wear? (laughs) And it's like, oh my goodness, I was not prepared with that level of detail. So I had to go do some research and get back to them. Yeah. Another example from this episode is when Connor and Roman mm-hmm. are discussing possibly, you know, a deal for an ambassadorship. I would love to get to Europe. Can I creep up through the underbelly, come up through the Balkans, a couple of senior departures, 
Berlin by Christmas? They may be willing to talk Slovenia or Slovakia. Mm hmm. Mm, yeah, I think I'm a no on the slows. What about South Korea? Hmm? South Korea. Top 10 GDP, major geopolitical player. I feel like that would be tough. North Korea. Easy, my liege. You don't know. Nobody knows. That's the point. I could open it up like Nixon did China. Khan, they're not going to put you anywhere with nukes. Well, that's insulting. I don't think I want to go anywhere that doesn't have nukes. All right, well... I think versions of this happen in real life. I have worked for candidates who aren't going to become the nominee or the winner, mm -hmm. but are figuring out how to best leverage their percentage of the electorate for their own ambition. Right. And, you know, if you don't think these marginal candidates matter, we have pretty good data to suggest that they actually do play a spoiler role, right? And, and if Ralph Nader wasn't running in 2000, Al Gore would have won Florida and been elected president. And of course, 2016, uh, Jill Stein took away enough votes from Hillary Clinton and Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, she, she would have been president. So that's not to say it's an automatic one for one. It's, it's right. not a, a necessarily a win for these candidates. But it is certainly true that Connor is in the catbird seat to play kingmaker for Mencken. And so the writers, we would just go, sort of go back and forth about how did those conversations happen. So this episode does center around a pre-election tailgate party. Yes. Um, are these tailgate parties real? I mean, obviously, it's not a tailgate. It's in a penthouse. And what's the purpose of them? This is the night before the election. I think Kendall leans into this as sort of a Logan ATN tradition, but we did spend a lot of time in the writer's room discussing sort of the lead into election night and what the vibe will be. The show opens with Tom sharing polling with Shiv mm -hmm. and, you know, polling data is like crack cocaine in the middle of a campaign, especially towards the end. And so new data like that is, is going to be gold. And if you've got some, you're in this very powerful position because you get to decide who you share it with. Right. Yeah, Nazis and libtards, I think that's correct, right? As Kendall put it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they're trying to give a window into the swamp, mm -hmm. right? Like, to the sort of swampy nature of politics, the sort of um, incestual relationships between business leaders, the media, the politicians, right? And sort of how those relationships are very, very cozy. The political press, like all our main characters, are cozy with the politicians are covering on succession. Does that ring true to you? In my experience, there is very active relationships between the campaigns and the media for mainstream outlets, right? Candidates are pushing for positive coverage, are trying to mm -hmm. shape coverage. The media outlets are asking for access, want to know mm -hmm. information. And so there's a very sort of active symbiotic relationship there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, for Democrats in a place like Fox News, it's going to be more complicated. Yeah. Over the last eight to 10 years, probably they've become a more naked right-wing platform. Earlier in my career, they probably had more, at least of a facade. They were fair and balanced. Right, right. Trying to appear as, as a legitimate news outlet. But they still have a massive audience and they're hugely influential. If, if I had a dollar for every reporter at another outlet who said, oh, an editor just asked me to chase this Fox News story. Could you, do you have a comment? What are you guys saying about it? You know, I'd be a wealthy man. But the coziness exists. I've seen it. Of course, right? of course. Yeah. But I don't think of that as a bad thing. Yeah. The press has a role to play. Public officials have a role to play. Mm -hmm. It should be um, adversarial, but it doesn't have to be hostile. Yeah, yeah. Good campaign officials or communicators are ones that have a healthy appreciation for the role that the press corps plays. I think a lot of times reporters make us do our jobs better because mm -hmm. of that scrutiny, because of that standards mm -hmm. that they hold us to. So I don't have a problem with being, you know, sort of tough on the air and then social behind the scenes. Yeah. I think that's entirely appropriate and legitimate. 
it's funny that our main characters aren't really talking about the election or the fate of the country or policy, but they're they're trying to accomplish something at the party with the Gojo deal. Talk about why the Gojo deal is connected to the election. I love the exchange between Kendall and Nate on this. He's trying to work his magic on Nate, who's, who's a Democratic operative. It doesn't go well. Let's listen. Daniel's people aren't too comfortable with me rubbing shoulders with you and, uh, you know, Coop likes to yap and... Uh, um, yeah, looks a little cozy, so apologies. Okay, but, but, you know, I think there is something here. There's legitimate concerns. I mean, just tell Daniel, I mean, we can make primetime safe for you. I'm going to be straight with you. One sentence, signal to the market. feel comfortable with the tenor of this conversation. You don't feel comfortable with the tenor of this conversation. Don't play hall monitor with me, bro. Right? I know you. I Ken, know who you are, my friend. I don't know what you think this is. I'm not Gil. You're not Logan. That's a good thing. I'll see you. So there you have it. I was like, Kendall's the stupidest person on earth. The way he handled this was so cloddish. Have you been in those conversations where people do that? I love this exchange because I think even though Kendall's politics are unlikely aligned with Nate's candidate, mm-hmm. it shows that sort of big business leaders, CEOs, right, they're always playing both sides. It's a nice window into that back and forth. I think most large companies in this country, right, they give large sums of money to Republicans and then they give large Mm -hmm. sums of money to Democrats. And I think a lot of people would think that cancels each other out, but you'd be missing the point, which is they're giving in order to cozy up and build relationships and curry favor. Right. So Kendall believes that Nate and his boss will could soon be in seats of power and he wants to lay the groundwork for that symbiotic relationship. Right. So I'll I'll go easy on you on the network instead of attacking you. Do you think there are more people like Nate, people who want to try to keep themselves clean, or more people like Kendall who want to, you know, grease the system? Oh, I I think Washington is full of both. Yeah. Over the last sort of seven years, Carrie, you've probably Mm -hmm. seen the ebb and flow of that. I think um, even if you just take Kendall's approach here, right? Like, I think in real life, there's generally a strict firewall at media companies, right, between Mm -hmm. the media side and the editorial side. Now, Mm -hmm. obviously— Kendall or, or Logan, for that matter, didn't have any issues crossing that line. Right. And I think we've also seen that line quite blurred at Fox News in real life. Blurred. They run over it right, and laugh. Right, trampled, and yeah. run back and then run over it. And- right, right. <laughs> so I think in real life, most legitimate news outlets have a pretty distinct, you know, lanes for, for both of those teams. Yeah. But I, I think what that episode showed was illustrative window into mm-hmm. into the interplay between business people and politicos. So he's trying to get them to watch the deal. If you were in Nate's position, how would you respond to Kendall? I like how he did it because Kendall, right, he feels like he needs to, he's always the alpha, right? And yeah. it's probably born out of a lot of insecurity, but it's his show now. And yet Nate sort of one-ups him and, and is basically sort of tries to be the adult in the room. Be like, I'm not sure this is appropriate. I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable with where you're headed. And I think Kendall doesn't really know how to react to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kendall and his family are used to sort of brawling back and forth and sort of hurling each other mm-hmm. back and forth. But if someone's going to sort of appeal to a higher conscious, that's sort of that felt like a new vibe for him that he didn't quite know how to deal with. So anyway, we talked about Kendall and Connor. How would you rate the rest of the kids' political savviness in this episode? Let's start with Roman. I think Roman is very deft at, at reading a room, having a sixth sense of, of where conversations are headed, how to play you know, dynamics to get what he wants. So I, I think when it comes to sort of small P politics, Roman is skillful. Yeah. So, so okay, what about Shiv? From my eyes, she loses big. She learns Matson is a fraud. I think she's quite emotional. 
This is a tough episode for Shiv, but she's obviously the most practiced at traditional politics. Because mm-hmm, she had worked there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would not bet against her. But look, I, I would not count out Jerry. Mm-hmm. I, I think Jerry brings an expertise and, and skills to the table along mm-hmm. with the savvy. Mm-hmm. She's got dirt on Roman that she's sitting on. She's keeping that in her back pocket until she needs to use it. Right. You know, she's not always the loudest in the room, but when she speaks, people listen. And, and I think that's a powerful thing. What about Kendall? Kendall, I think, is the most sort of obtuse or brazen. Mm-hmm. And I think politics usually requires a little bit more depth. You don't need to bring a, a baseball bat to every encounter. Encounter, yeah. Yeah, he's always like, power, bro, power, bro. He keeps saying, right, right, like, right. I'm yeah, really yeah, powerful, yeah. bro. Do you think succession is a political story at its heart? Even Not just pure politics, but between and among the people. It feels like it is, right, Kira, that mm-hmm. it's a family drama, but the constant maneuvering and who's up and who's down feels very sort of political to me. And the constant sort of positioning of each of the kids or the brain trusted Waystar. So I, I think that's one of the reasons we're fascinated with the show, right? Because it's sort of a window into the sort of human enterprise of, of politics. Right. Absolutely. A final question for you. Next week takes place on election night. And I know you had a big hand in that one. Without spoiling it, what can you tell us about the vibe on election night? Is there something we should be looking out for or keeping in mind as we watch? Yeah, this is, <laughs> again, I don't want to give anything away, but this is quite the episode. Not three. Three was quite the episode, but go ahead. They're all they're all sort of at the edge of your seat type of yeah. situations. I, I think, though, that um, you and I have talked about the relationship between campaigns mm-hmm. and the media. And I think that that relationship becomes particularly sort of acute and fraught mm-hmm. into election night. Thank you, Eric. That was great. We really appreciate it. We're excited to see who wins. Great to be here, Carol. I want to thank my guest, political advisor Eric Schultz, and of course, the marvelous Matthew McFadden. I can't see a way out of this for Tom and Shiv. My advice would be just to take the money and get out. Next week, we'll be back to talk about episode eight, election night on succession. Normally, I would say the Roys are the last people I want to be with on election night, but I just can't look away. New episodes of the podcast come out every Sunday night after the latest episode of Succession airs on HBO and HBO Max. Make sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts so you never miss an episode. The official HBO Succession podcast is a production of HBO and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers at Pineapple are Barry Finkel and Gabrielle Lewis. Our producers are Elliot Adler, Ben Goldberg, and Noah Camuso. Our editor is Darby Maloney. Engineering and mixing by Hannes Brown. Production music is courtesy of HBO. Special thanks to Michael Gluckstadt, Kenya Reyes, and Savon Slater at HBO Podcasts. And I am, of course, Kara Swisher. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, I'll be turning to Tom for some nice wine recommendations, especially about toilet wine. You uh, find ways to have fun out there? More or less. Red wine smells like wet dog. 's is coming back and so is the official hacks podcast with us your hosts I'm Paul W Downs I'm Jen Statsky and I'm Lucia and yellow we're the creators and showrunners each week on the podcast we'll break down the new episodes we'll also have special guests cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart hacks season three is available to stream now on Max be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max <laughs> 